Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is February 23rd, 2023. So I guess that's 2-23-23. And I'm joined again today in studio by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to be talking about how Texas businesses may fare during the 2023 Texas legislative session. And we have a special guest to help us with that conversation. We have Annie Spillman, who's the state director of NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business. She's the state director in Texas. So Annie, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving us the time today. Well, we uh, IPI is based in Texas. We're, as our listeners know, we're a mostly federally focused group, but we're based in Texas, and we care very much about what happens here in our in our home state. So we do like to to delve into Texas policy when when the opportunity presents itself. So this is a great opportunity. I don't want to take for granted that our listeners know what NFIB is. So why don't you take a couple minutes and sort of talk about uh, what the National Federation for Independent Business is and what you do. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I have to tell you that um, we are celebrating our 80th anniversary this year. Mm. Um, And we are truly the only organization that represents small businesses across the country. Um, So in all 50 of our state capitals and then um, on the federal level in D.C. And so that's always been, um, you know, our governing principle is that we represent small businesses. Those are the independently owned and operated businesses across the country. And, you know, there's obviously multiple definitions of what a small business is, but those are businesses um, that aren't publicly traded, like I said, independently owned and operated. And what's unique about NFIB is that, you know, these are really representative of our country and of our state and of our communities in that they represent um, pretty much every economic sector um, across the state, you know, manufacturing, construction, retail, services industries, um, you know, agriculture, you name it. And so the other unique aspect about NFIB is that we're member governed. And so we ballot our members. It's one member, one vote. And so it gives our chief economist, uh, William Dunkelberg, um, a lot of data and input that we share through our small business economic trends report and also through our jobs report um, so that we can share that uh, universally through media, but then also at our state legislatures and um, and in D.C. So it gives a unique perspective because we're not just, you know, industry based, but again, small businesses. So it truly shows us, you know, a, a microscope into what's happening there um, on, on the local levels up to the national level. You know, as as proponents of uh, free markets and free enterprise, we're not opposed to big business and major corporations, but the interests of major corporations are not always the same as small business, are they? Correct. Uh, no, not necessarily, but I will tell you, you know, the small businesses, um, you know, we're, we're asked every session if small businesses are against sort of this corporate welfare or, you know, these tax abatements for corporations. And they're the first to say that they're not because, um, you know, they don't necessarily need handouts. They just want the chance to compete. But also, look, hey, these small businesses can benefit from from the bigger businesses and that they do business with them. But 
you, I think the obvious difference, and your your listeners can understand this, is that these small businesses really are um, a reflection in the identities of our communities. You know, they they generally they're at their businesses every day. You know, they know the people that they work with every day. They consider their employees their family. They want to take care of them. Um, they don't necessarily need the government to tell them to take care of their employees and to look after their safety and to give them uh, benefits and increase their wages. Um, they do that because they care for the people that work with them. It's also true that, um, you know, when when you drive around town, uh, you don't necessarily pass a whole bunch of Fortune 500 corporate headquarters, but you do pass an awful lot of small businesses. So, you know, small businesses, you know, are your community, you know, whether it's, you know, where you whether it's a meat market down the street or, or you know, where you go to the doctor or uh, the, a community grocery store that you go to or uh, your dry cleaners, your donut shop, your little independent restaurant. I mean, that's sort of that's what makes a community is those those small businesses and those small entrepreneurs uh, that provide needed and desired services to just the people who live in a neighborhood or in a town. Yeah. And, you know, I have to tell you, um, being a a lobbyist for small business, you think, man, that's easy. Everybody loves small business. Um, And these the legislators in in Texas and across the country, they they, every session, I I love them to pieces, but they come up here and they talk about how much they love small business. And then they file legislation that would ultimately, you know, put them out of business one mandate at a time. And so the beautiful thing about my job is that um, they don't have to just uh, be sort of beholden to to me, the lobbyist, but I can tell them, hey, you're going to run in to your constituent, you know, John Smith or, you know, Mary Smith at uh, your local pharmacy um, or your local restaurant there when you go home or the grocery store or your local flower shop, um, you're going to run into them and you're going to have to answer to them. So um, that is the beautiful thing is that these uh, these small business centers, um, they're out there. They're just the normal people working every single day and making the sandwiches. Um, so typically the legislators are more inclined to listen to what we have to say. <laughs> no, no I, I think that's, I think that's great. Uh, and you really hit on one of my sort of um, sensitive spots when it comes to public policy. And that is when, when uh, elected officials, and in Texas, of course, most of our elect- government officials are Republicans. So they, 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 most or all of them would claim to believe in limited government, free enterprise, uh, low regulations and all this sort of stuff. But then, as you say, very often you catch them introducing things that are actually contrary to their stated principles. You know, you put one thing in your in your in your mail flyer when you're running for office, but then all of a sudden you get to Austin and and you're you're caving to other interests, perhaps that either either intentionally or unintentionally will actually put additional burdens on small businesses. So this is actually one of the things that we like to do here at IPI. Also, is sort of point out to elected officials when they are when they're behaving in a way that departs from their stated principles. And it, <laughs> well, and, and it happens. It happens surprisingly often. And, you know, I think people who live in Texas think that they live in this free free market paradise and this limited government paradise. And there's lots of things in Texas law and in Texas regulation uh, where we are. We are not necessarily as in as uh, as low regulation, low tax uh, and, and free enterprise oriented as we, as we think we are. 
No, and I'll tell you, and I know we're about to jump into that and have some good examples and and have some good conversation, but I always, when I go around uh, and, and speak to groups, I always like to point this out. So just right now, so in Texas, we started our legislative session um, on January 9th. So we're going into well over a month of session. But right now we're over, they've filed over 4,000 bills. And um, and like you said, yeah, we're, we're a Republican majority. And, you know, it's this limited government. Every single session for the last several sessions, the, uh, the end of session, about 7,000 bills have been filed and this is they're in session for 140 days. Um, but that's a whole heck of a lot of bills. Granted, only about 13 percent of those bills pass. And we're happy for that. Um, and that's m- one of my main jobs is making sure we're killing bills that we don't need more regulation out there. But it just it's it's just so funny. It's sort of you know, talking out of both sides of their mouths. And, and I don't think that, you know, they don't mean it to be bad. I think everybody thinks they've got good ideas. Um, and they all want to be the champion of something. Right. right. Um, and so but it's just, you know, 7000 bills. And at this point, you know, we're not two months in and you've got over 4000 bills that have been filed. It's like, just give it a rest, folks. <laughs> you know, Dr. Matthews, um, you and I, again, we do a lot of nationally focused policy work. And it's always kind of funny when people outside of Texas, you know, we shouldn't take for granted because people are amazed when we explain to them that the Texas legislature only meets for, for you know, essentially four, mm-hmm. four months every two years, mm-hmm. you know. So they're, they're out of session more often than they're in session. And that's a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, but the the result is that you really end up with a very, very intense flurry of activity uh, during, especially during the last two months of the session. So how does Texas compare to other states? Does NFIB say, because you, you're in every state, these are these other states here are real big problems. Texas is can be a problem, but it's generally pretty good. How does it compare? I mean, you know, obviously, Texas is a, is a pro-business state. We've got our issues. Um, I'd, I'd say regulatory-wise, Texas is looking really good. However, at the same time, um, and I've talked to Tom about this, but in regard to the business personal property tax, we're mm-hmm. one of the most regressive, and we're not, we don't look good, but that's one of the things on the table this session. But, I mean, clearly, you've got some of your states, like, California and, and some of the others that that aren't good and and you know some of my NFIB colleagues in these other states that always you know reach out and and give me you know some some juice because they're going it must be so easy over there in Texas and I'm going <laughs> you have no idea because because it's always these inner battles too right it's you've got you know the Republicans that sort of battle within themselves because some aren't you know, right enough and some are too right. And then same within within the Democratic Party, too. So, you know, they're battling that when there are real things that need to get done or or whatever it may be. So I think we've got sort of a different set of issues in Texas. But it, and like Tom said, I mean, it it's fast and furious. And I'll tell you, it, whereas these other sessions are spread out, I mean, there's times when we are in hearings until two and three in the morning. Um, and so you have to be careful because it, decisions can be made. And, and, and these are with people that are have slept mm-hmm. maybe two hours. So and tensions are high. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, I, I have been in the room a few times myself when the when a hearing was going well past midnight and you start wondering, 
Just, uh, just how important is it that I testify on this on this particular piece of legislation? Maybe I could yes, just are they listening? Yeah, right. maybe maybe I could just leave a note. Um, one again, one of one of my sort of, and I and I love Texas, and I do love the fact that we are generally a low tax pro business state. I would just like to see us uh, do the best possible job we can do and get rid of some. You know, we we literally have in state law protections for certain industries against out of state competition. We have protections for certain industries, even against new in state competition. And I'd love to see stuff like that go away. I think my main frustration, though, is for the past several sessions, it seems like what Republicans think their voters want mm-hmm. are the culture war social issues. And, you know, you, you hear you hear elected officials, you hear elected Republicans talking, and I'm not saying these things are not important, but it, they want to talk about guns, they want to talk about abortion, they want to talk about gender issues, bathroom bill issues, and things like that. Meanwhile, as you say, we have a business tax code in this state that is just frankly not good. It's just, it's just frankly a bad tax system. And I don't hear any elected Republicans, or I rarely hear any elected Republicans saying, we need to fix that. You know, I, I'll tell you, and I and I think it, it may be because I'm 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 right here, you know, right right in right inside of it and right in the thick of it. That's that's changed. The tune has changed. I'm, I'm sure that people that are just watching the news and in the media, um, they're still sort of seeing the, you know, the the talking points and the the things that are catching the news as far as what what certain lawmakers want to do as far as books in schools and some of the social things and some of the abortion things and the gun things. But I have to tell you, starting out right now, knock on wood, it's looking like it's going to be a, um, you know, a business session, meaning that there's going to be focus back on, you know, reforming the the regulatory environment um, on the local level. And, And you've heard the governor and the lieutenant governor both say um, that not only is property tax relief important, but but property tax relief for the small businesses, you know, in increasing. We've got an inventory tax in Texas. We're only one of nine states that has an inventory tax. And I'd be happy to elaborate on that. But both Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick. And that's that's usually not that doesn't happen. But singing from the same psalm book here um, in their inaugural address, but both said that we need to increase the inventory tax and help out these businesses in Texas, specifically the small businesses, um, because they understand that, look, they're still trying to come back from the pandemic. They're trying to keep their doors open. And we're sort of staring into the eyes of a potential recession here. So what can we do not to just, you know, give these businesses more money so they can go buy like a third condo or something. That's not the reality. The reality is, is what can we do to, you know, keep some money in the pockets of these small business owners so that they can invest back into their employees, increase wages, increase benefits, invest back into their communities in the form of, you know, buying, expanding their business, buying more equipment, paying more taxes in other ways instead of this regressive tax. Annie, I I had Steve Munisteri, advisor to Governor Abbott, on the radio yesterday, and we were talking about this specifically. And he was talking about the roughly $33 billion we think we're going to have in the budget, and the governor has said he wants to be able to use roughly half of that for tax relief. And it's not clear to me whether he's talking about just individual property tax relief or if that includes businesses. Steve went on to say we also have a lot of money in the... uh, 
uh, in the rainy day fund that gets you up to nearly $60 billion. And I, I'm curious as to, uh, do you have a sense as to the, the, if we're using half of the $33 billion, maybe some more, for tax relief, does part of that go to business? I mean, is your understanding part of that's going to business, or is that all individual and we're going to use some other money for that? No, absolutely. I, I'm not only... Um just making some inference here. I know for a fact, I was actually at the governor's state of the state. And then the governor spoke to the NFIB uh, small business day on February 14th. And he committed um, to our group and in publicly that he wants to spend part of that um, 15 billion on um, business, personal property tax relief. Um, Previously in his taxpayer bill of rights, he specifically said he wanted to increase that exemption from $2,500 as it is now, which is so de minimis, it doesn't create any mm-hmm. savings for a business owner, even the smallest one. But he he, he originally said he wants to increase that to a $100,000 exemption. Um, but actually now he's, he's sort of just sort of open ending saying we need to increase that exemption and has even admitted that um, in some cases, just in, in passing sort of when we're talking with our groups that, you know, at some point this tax needs to be repealed. Now, is that going to happen this session? We don't know, but it sounds to me, um, this is where the the anti-lobbyist is coming in, but it sounds to me by, by he sort of opening the door on just saying exemption that maybe we were opening the door to raising that exemption even higher, $500,000, a million dollars. We've got the money to do it. And he did commit to using the, um, you know, the half of that 33 billion, that 15 billion um, to use part of that for um, business personal property tax relief. Is the NFIB, do you have a recommendation for them saying this is where we would like to get to be? You know, we've pressed some numbers and we've talked to a lot of our, our small business owners and we've completely applauded him putting this on the table um, starting out that $100,000 exemption. But to be really honest and for them to see some real savings, um, we're really going to have to bump that number up, um, just sort of arbitrarily say $500,000 exemption or more. Um, you know, and, and the thing about this is it's um, this is one of those, if they were to pass this, this helps the small and the big. So it's a win-win for everybody. And and that's going to be an investment back into the economy in the way of hiring more people, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if I'm a legislator, um, I would if we've got the money, I'd bump that up to as, as high as we can get, um, you know, and what we would like to see the repeal. I'm trying to be a realist here. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen because you're going to have to couple that with um, general property tax relief, you know, for homeowners. But um, we have to start sort of playing ball here. And I think we're going to have to at least ask for about a $500,000 exemption for people to really see some true savings. The big manufacturers and folks like that, um, I don't think that's going to do anything for them. So they, they might be pushing for up to a million dollar exemption or more. Annie, this is just a, a question for, clar- for clarification. Uh, you've talked about the inventory tax and you've talked about a business personal property tax. Are those the right. same things? You're using those interchangeably, right? Yes. And I, okay. yeah, I just because I'm trying to use sort of we, sort of the nickname is the inventory tax. Yeah. Um, but when you'll see in his um, press releases, the governor's, you'll see him refer to that business personal property tax. And so just know that um, 
in Texas, these business owners, you know, they pay, they pay their um, part of that business personal property tax, you know, so they're paying their real, um, their real property tax on their real property. And then everything that exists inside that building, if you were to take it and you dump it upside down, um, they're paying a quote unquote inventory tax on that. Um, And so, like I said, it's just Texas, we can do better. I mean, the fact that we're only one of nine states that's even taxing businesses on this. And I'll tell you, for the smaller folks, for the folks that I represent, um, the compliance is even as much a burden and a cost than the actual cost of the tax. I mean, look, they have to go in and value all of this inventory that they've got. And, and for those that are um, even inventory heavy, the inventory help for resale, and they've got equipment that they use or inventory that they sell, they have to go and evaluate all of that. And then they remit it to their local tax appraiser. And a lot of times the tax appraiser comes back and says, you know what? I don't think you've got enough inventory, AKA, I don't think you're being truthful. Uh, well, if you haven't heard, there's been a supply chain issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just yeah. going to bring up the supply chain issue because yeah. we we actually, uh, a couple of us at IPI a couple months ago did a tour of a local manufacturing facility uh, near our offices. And the, mm-hmm. the owner was explaining how because of supply chain problems, they're having to carry heavier inventories than yeah. they used to because because the supply chains are, are not as reliable. And so just to function, they have to carry a heavier inventory. And so that means they're having to take on a heavier tax burden, even though mm-hmm. even though they're not necessarily making any more revenue, they just have to carry more inventory just so they keep functioning. Yeah, and then there is, yeah. So then ultimately they're penalized on, you know, making sure that they've got that inventory there. Uh, and that that's, it was, yeah, thank you. Cause it was going, going there. That's what we've heard from a lot of members. And so it doesn't make sense. And this is one of those times when you've got sort of the small, the small guys and the big guys coming together and agreeing on this one thing, because you've got other instances, like in Texas, we've got a franchise tax. We mm-hmm. don't have an, in, an income tax. We've got a franchise tax and it's, it's, it's our grocery receipts tax. So it's a tax that businesses pay on, on what they gross, not on what they net. But um, at any rate, that's where a lot of the bigger businesses and smaller businesses disagree on any sort of exemptions. Um, but this is one where we all agree this is bad and it needs to go away. Um, so I'm confident that something's going to be done with this. I really am. And, and like I you know, started out, I don't know. And, you know, I'm bitter and been around for 23 years in this business. And so for me to be confident is a big thing <laughs> because <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, so. that's that's very encouraging. I'm I'm delighted to hear that. Uh, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned the gross receipts tax. And, you know, when we were talking earlier about the fact that we have a really a really lousy business tax system in the state, you know, that's what I was thinking of as a gross receipts tax, that 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 is just not a great way to tax businesses in the state. Uh, so, you know, is, is there a possibility of reforming that as well? Or are you just, would you just be content <laughs> to see the inventory tax get dealt with? You know, I'll tell you, um, first, first to answer that, I, I don't see it happening this session. I don't see both uh, happening. Um when, when I started with NFIB nine years ago, I heard from members all the time about this, the franchise tax and how bad it was, how bad it was, how bad it was. 
And sadly enough, I don't really hear about it as much, not because it's not a, a burden and a problem. I think they've just learned how to, they're just dealing with it. And now they've got bigger problems. That's bad. Um, but truly, uh, this inventory tax has become even more of a burden. And so, um, you know, I think we're going to see that being dealt with. And then we're going to have to come back to the table on the the franchise tax. I, um, I, I just frankly... You know, it's it's one of those. Is a, I think people think that these businesses have um, this stronghold over legislators, and um, we just sort of get what we want, and and that's just not the case. Um, so, you know, in this case, beggars can't be choosers. We're we come to the table as realists, and especially those representing the small business community. And so, you know, we've we've got a handful of priorities in the inventory tax is one of them. And so, I I was very pleased to see that. Um, you know, with Governor Abbott's uh, state of the state, that the this relief, and specific to to businesses, like I said, was one of his first of seven um, emergency items in Texas, and that's good. And so, for those that don't know, is it an emergency item? It's something that he's asking the legislature to pass in the first sixty days of session. So by um, March tenth, I believe. Yeah. So and we haven't we haven't seen a bill number yet on that, but we will. Yeah, no, I'm glad you defined emergency items because that's an, that's another thing that is sort of a unique Texas uh, thing. You know, when you, when you were talking about having to have realistic um, expectations from the session, you know, the the good thing as a limited government guy, I think the good thing about our abbreviated legislative sessions is that only so much can get done. But the mm-hmm. bad thing is that only so much can get done. You know, <laughs> I mean, it limits it limits the 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 sheer amount of bad stuff that can happen, but it also limits the amount of things you can actually repair. And so, yeah, here in Texas, we, we do have to have real expectations. And sometimes you take one bite at the apple one session and then you come back one or two sessions later and try to take the other bite. Well, and if I mean, listen, it's we're not coming back to session until 2025. Um, and so unless we have a special session, which yeah. is exorbitantly expensive and nobody wants to do that, but um, it, it's sort of all or nothing. And, and that being said, you know, we've uh, NFIB and about 18 other business groups back in 2018 formed a coalition called Asset, the Alliance for Strengthening and Securing the Economy in Texas, formed a coalition because we started seeing a trend not only in Texas, but nationwide, where we were seeing um, mostly out of state uh, national labor unions coming in um, and pressuring um, mostly urban cities to start regulating private employment practices, whereas that had always been done at the state and federal levels. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, anything dealing with sort of labor labor standards, um, you know, dealing with wages and, and you know, scheduling and benefits and, and so on and so forth. Things that we've never seen cities do ever before, not not in their jurisdiction at all. Well, we saw the city of Austin pass a, a paid sick leave ordinance, um, which you know sounds good on paper, but we within these ordinances we saw things being hidden in there, like giving this the city subpoena power over businesses' records if if even a violation was made that this uh, ordinance was um, and, and sorry an allegation was made but the ordinance was violated. Um, so that was back in 2018. We started to see Texas cities get more and more active into r- regulating p- 
private employment practices as opposed to sticking with zoning and nuisances and and you know public buildings and facilities and parks and so we formed this to try to create legislation that would restore regulatory authority over the world's ninth largest economy texas and those sorts of streams of commerce back to the state and federal government so that all being said um we our other priority as a business association um is the texas regulatory consistency act House Bill 2127 and Senate Bill 814. Um, And so that has been filed. And um, so we're looking to get that passed as well. And and, and the reason why I I did sort of transition there is because if we don't get this passed this session, and this is the third time we've tried to pass it here in Texas. So for those of you that think it's easy just, you know, to pass things in Texas because it's a Republican state for the business community. You're very wrong. We've got two years for cities to do a lot more damage to these small businesses that are already hanging on by a thread. So, Annie, does that bill essentially preclude uh, municipalities from doing things like that? Does does that just make it really clear that the state is preempting them from doing that? It does. Good. It does. Very it's, good. it's very clear. And you know what? It does not take away any current powers that cities have. Okay. So I just want everybody to be clear, you know, they always try to throw a a local control statement into the mix. And, you know, this, this isn't about local control and, or versus, you know, who, who does what, look, it's never been the city's jurisdiction to get into trying to regulate private employment practices or dealing with major, um, regulatory authority over these provisions of law that regulate streams of commerce. Um, yeah. and, and like I said, Texas has a $2 trillion economy, ninth largest economy. Um, in, if, if it were a country like second to Italy, we, we always brag about, right. And to have these municipalities piecemeal regulate um, these private employers and commerce like that just does not, it just does not make sense. And frankly, they don't have the infrastructure to administer any of these types of ordinances over these types of, right. of commerce. And they don't either. have the expertise to do it either. We're, we're very fond here at IPI of reminding people that municipalities are the creations of the state. Uh, yes. they, they didn't, they didn't proceed that precede the state government. They are creations of the state government. And so it's an, it's entirely appropriate for the state government to determine the limitations of, of municipal authority and to tell them what they can and cannot do. that That's not a violation of local control. That's just the simple fact of the fact that they are creations of the state. Oh, absolutely. And I was happy to see that the governor has outlined it. It wasn't an emergency item, but of his priorities, um, you know, his Texas tomorrow and, and his priorities to reform the regulatory environment so that businesses, large and small, can continue to thrive um, in Texas. And so that our economy, you know, continues to be good. And, and um, you know, that we're an example across the country. I know people are probably sick of hearing Texas brag, but. <laughs> well, well, we'll never get sick of doing it. I know, I know, I know. But I mean, but to be really honest, I, I, it's shocking that these sorts of things had had start to, to trickle up word in Texas. And we really hadn't seen it until about 2018. And now it's become this this growing trend of these cities 
really stepping outside of their lane. And I mean, I can give several examples, but even like in Euless, Texas, they tried to pass an, or they did pass an overtime fairness, quote unquote, law. Um, but it's, you know, they all have really pretty names and sound great on paper, but they just create these costly, burdensome mandates on employers. And, you know, the, the small businesses, they can't absorb those costs. So guess what happens? They close their doors and then people don't have jobs. Um, so whereas you think these are like pro worker, they're really not. And again, cities shouldn't be doing it. And these small businesses have to operate a lot of times in multiple cities. So try keeping up with ordinances from Fort Worth to Dallas to Dulles to, you know, Rockwall to everywhere across the state of Texas. Good luck. Okay. So, Annie, we've talked about uh, your NFIB's tax concerns. Do you have any other uh, priorities or concerns for this legislative session in Texas? Yes. Well, so small business owners have since 1986, since NFIB has been uh, polling our members, have identified cost of health insurance as their number one biggest problem and priority. And this is above taxes and regulation. That shouldn't be very shocking to many people. But look, they want to be able to offer that type of benefit to their employees. Um, In Texas, every session, there's bill after bill that would increase the health insurance mandates in the state that increase cost. So there's an option on the table, a couple options on the table that would create um, new options, affordable sort of mandate light insurance options for employers to be able to opt into. So it's good. It's a win-win for everybody. Um, so we're looking at that and you'll you'll see some other options on the table that will create some affordable healthcare options that are practical and um, you know it helps the employers out, helps the employees out. So, so we are looking at that, We're, and we'll hopefully he- hear a lot more about that. So know that there are some, some options on the table so that people will be able to have some health insurance out there, and I think that's going to be a bipartisan effort. That's great, Annie. Uh, is the NFIB website just NFIB.org? It's NFIB.com. Dot com. Yes. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, so so if our listeners want to know more about NFIB or if, if some of our small business listeners might even want to join NFIB, I assume that they could do that at NFIB.com, right? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to you know, keep up with how sessions going, they're always welcome to reach out and we will pick up the phone and, and tell them how it's going. <laughs> That's terrific. Well, Annie, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Uh, you could find out a lot more about small businesses at the NFIB.com website, and you can find out more about economic policy, healthcare costs, uh, good and bad tax systems, and things like that at our website at IPI.org. Uh, at our website at IPI.org, you can sign up and you can get notifications of all of our upcoming content, podcast episodes, and upcoming events. Uh, you can also help to sponsor these podcasts at our website be- by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.